everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, August 13th, 2021, and you're listening to episode 681 of the show. Exceptional episode we have for you, dear listeners. Tim Robbins, one of my favorite actors of all time, finally doing the show. I got a uh, invitation to bring him on through a theatrical production he's doing. And I, I jumped at the chance course, already very familiar with Tim's, his politics, and have been really loving his work for many years. And uh, then we're going to bring on one of my, my favorite guests I've, I had in ages. I, I did not know Melissa before this episode. Uh, she just was such a lovely uh, a person, meaning... Her attitude, her energy, everything, just so great, so great. And such a, an engaged, present person, which is exactly, of course, what you... And both, people, both Tim and Melissa fit that. Just, if you, if you want to watch either of these, of course, they're both available on, on FilmWax TV, which means you can go to youtube.com slash Radio and subscribe to that channel, and you can get all the updates about that content. Now, there's something else. We're going to bring Tim on second all right but i just want you to know there is a longer version twice the length probably of the conversation that you're going to hear now or watch on the youtube show of tim and me but there's a 40 minute version and i have made the full version available to my patreon customers this is something that i need to do in order to try to raise a little revenue I'm transparent. I mean, I, 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 it's not that there's a huge cost to doing a podcast. You probably know that because you probably have a co- podcast if you're listening. But as you know, the amount of time and energy it requires, uh, and there are costs, of course. There are. There are. And you can always upgrade equipment if you're making uh, some stream of revenue through it. So this, this starting this Patreon was, it's 10 years I've been doing the show. So it just shows you how how ambitious I am around this that took 10 years. My ambition, I am ambitious about Film Wax, but my ambition is more about the quality of the show or has been and remains the quality of the show, the quality of the guests, the quality of the content. And I think that that's been the priority, you know, if you ask. But Everybody has been doing the Patreon. It made sense just to do it for those who want to engage on a higher level or be more included in what I'm doing with the show. The more you contribute, the more you have a voice with the, the show. So, and you can go to the, again to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio and find out the different tiers. For as little as three bucks a month, you can become a Filmwax patron. But at $5, you get exclusive content for instance, this expanded conversation with Tim Robbins is, is there, and I talked to him about far more. We the, He has a theater company called The Actors Gang, which we'll get into in the introduction coming up later in the show, but one of the people in that company, 
just so happens, by coincidence, is my high school theater teacher who I loved and who I've since become reconnected with. I'll tell you all about that during the next intro when I talk about Tim. That conversation is only in the exclusive version. Also, for those who subscribe, I'm going to be posting all of the episodes of the show on to our, for our Patreon. There will be archive episodes from 10 years ago. When, before my voice changed, before I grew, you know, pubic hair, for instance. Okay, maybe I went a little far, but you get the idea. Old shows, they're only going to be available now through our Patreon site for, for our subscribers. And some episodes I will make available to everybody, anybody who donates anything. And then there'll be a bunch that will be more just for our $5 or more people. Uh, and, and I should say that... Uh, the only, we'll have, of course, the last 100 episodes always available on the podcast app. Always the last 100. And then on the YouTube channel, there's tons more content there, too, I should admit. But even that stuff, I will eventually move off and make available only to Patreon customers. So it's not a big thing. But, you know, I think what you're going to see in the coming bunch of years is is a quality ramp up even further. You know, I feel like I'm at my best game right now, but that's not something that dips you know it just keeps getting better i think you just keep getting more and more qualified and and expert at, at doing this type of thing and the guests just i look you know if you listen to the show i don't distinguish between famous guests and less or non-famous guests it doesn't matter to me there's a community of people that i invite onto this sh show over and over they're not at the celebrity status by any regard but there are certain people, whether they're directors, actors, or industry professionals, or musicians that I just, you know, are warm and great. Like, I would bring on Melissa again and again. And as I would Tim. It doesn't matter to me. It's just, are they the right guests? Do they get what I'm doing? Is there a synergy there, right? And so that's, that's all my thoughts there, folks. Now, today's episode is 681. We're going to have this first conversation is with a filmmaker named Melissa Hazlip, who has a new documentary. It's on HBO Max right now, and it's called Mr. Soul, and it's about her uncle, Ellis Hazlip, who produced and hosted this variety show. Before Oprah, before Arsenio, there was Mr. Soul. Ellis Hazlip ensures the revolution will be televised with soul. That's the name of his show, Soul! Exclamation point. America's first black Tonight show. From 1968 through 1973, Soul provided expanded images of African Americans shifting the gaze from inner city poverty and violence to the vibrancy of the black arts movement. Again, it's on HBO Max. Um, also, you can watch episodes of the original show. Um, I think they are on... Amazon Prime and or Shout Factory. If, if you can find episodes on either of those platforms, but this documentary is so part of a group of documentaries that have come out recently regarding African American entertainment, which has been largely marginalized. What a shock! You know, so many people that are even involved in the documentary never had heard of this show. Why? You'll find out more as you listen to my conversation go on with Melissa, but it's, it's a crime. And if you watch, like, Summer of Soul about the, this 
Harlem Music Festival, that footage had been laying in some vault somewhere for decades, unknown to you know excited audiences everywhere that have since embraced that documentary. And then I've recently had on my friend Yoruba Richin regarding her two recent documentaries. The sit-in, Harry Belafonte hosts The Tonight Show, and, and How It Feels to Be Free, part of American Masters. So there's this group of documentaries all that have come out which have been such a great contribution to the history of black music and entertainment in this country. So I'm so excited now to introduce to you the wonderful uh, Melissa Hazlip here on Film Wax Radio. I'm Ellis Hazlip, and welcome to Soul. James Baldwin. Earth, Wind & Fire. Stevie Wonder, Nikki Giovanni. Harry Belafonte. Al Green. Yo, this is every day. Can you imagine what Soul would have been like for a 20-year run? Los Angeles, Detroit, Newark, cities across the country were erupting. There were so few positive African-American images on television. We needed to reimagine ourselves on this American landscape. Got any ideas, fellas? Live and in color from New York City, Soul. I'm Ellis Hayes, the producer of Soul, and we are happy to have you with us this evening. Ellis was a gardener. And he cultivated all of these people. Black voices speaking to the problems of our time. Ellis said, if we're going to do something for the black community, it's got to be a lot deeper, jazzier, even more controversial. It's about time I hear something besides blondes have more food. <laughs> Ellis already knew that black culture led, didn't pull. Peace still, peace, peace still. Hi. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing? How are you? Sorry, it was a little late. We're just getting off another interview. It's great to meet you. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing interviews for the documentary. That's good reason to be two minutes late. <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies, but... It does. I'm usually very punctual. I like to come in a little bit early. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, It's really nice to make your acquaintance. You too. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a pleasure to to talk about Mr. Soul, your documentary. You know, I saw it a while ago. uh, Originally, I had to rewatch, rewatch just so it's a little fresh. But uh, I will have to look at the myriad laureates. Uh, there are dozens and dozens. <laughs> I'll just say, I don't know if I fell asleep looking through all of them. And I you fell asleep. There's so many. I like, know, it's like counting sheep. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't really, because we were so DIY, to be honest, yeah. we just went for it. We didn't know if we would receive an offer to buy uh, the really? film, and so we we're like, let's just get as many people to see it as possible because we wanted to make it for the people anyway, right. much in the spirit of the original film. And so I, just every film festival that that welcomed us, we were like, we're there. And I was at every single one, <laughs> except I didn't get to Durban, South Africa. That's the yeah, one they I- they were they were complaining about that. Um, <laughs> But, they wouldn't fly me because the film wasn't in competition. I was like, but it's in the festival. Doesn't that count? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I talked to a lot of filmmakers of a lot of lower budget, even films. And, you know, sure. and, you know, the festival circuit is absolutely a form of distribution, you know, or, or uh, exhibition and distribution for some films because absolutely. that's really, and, you know, it's where they get the, a lot of in-person engagement, which is exciting, you know. 
Yes. And we did have a sales agent, wonderful sales agent, but when it didn't happen right away, I we see. thought, well, okay, well, let's not waste the momentum and just keep going. And we kept receiving so many awards, like 14 film festival awards or something. Crazy. Yeah. And then we won the um, IDA best documentary, best music documentary award. And so that just really opened doors and, and more invitations. And we're still getting invited to festivals even now, which is great because, you know, the pandemic kind of shifted everything and everyone reordered their yeah. priorities around yeah. timelines and deadlines and just started to become much more inclusive, which is mm -hmm. really wonderful in some ways, uh, even though it was a terrible, terrible time for the world. Um, yeah. and, you know, God rest the souls whom we lost. It was also could it be a very fruitful time for creativity because people were trying to express themselves so urgently. So and there was an urgent desire to connect. Yes, um, like maybe an appreciation, a deeper appreciation, perhaps uh, for connection. Exactly. And that's when we released the film in uh, the virtual space um, in August. Uh, and it was after everything that happened around George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and there were so many, there was a great racial reckoning happening and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, all the resistance and, and people responding to what was all the changes that were happening. And we just felt that it was time to do something. And what, what could we do that could contribute to change that could make anything better? And we realized that art, our art is activism. And just by sharing the film was an act of, of resistance and resilience. And it was important because the film is so uplifting and positive and not only is it nostalgic, it's encouragement, you know, for, and it's a love letter to black culture. And I felt that we needed it then and now more than ever, just an opportunity to remind ourselves of our greatness and for everybody in an inclusive invitation to recognize, you know, how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Uh, so we released it in August in a really unique way. We actually didn't really know what we were doing, but we created a, a new model of this sort of virtual film release. And we partnered with independent cinemas and art house cinemas all around the country. But Probably it was all, to, all of whom were, you know, yeah, they're all figuring out this uh, yeah. new way of, of exhibiting film. But it and it's our you know, way to support them. Together. Yeah. We work together. So it was actually a split of revenue. So right. you could choose yep. the theater you wanted to support. And know right. that half of your ticket was going to them to help them keep their lights on. And the other half was going to our, our team to help us, you know, independent, really DIY filmmakers. And so yeah. that gave so much autonomy and agency to people that it really created a groundswell. And we started out in literally two theaters. Pretty soon it was 60. And then we were in 90 cinemas, virtual cinemas around the nation we not, never would have been able to pull that off in real life because you can't, you know, really afford without distribution yeah. to film that way. So it turned out to be a really wonderful experience um, for the community and for the culture. Right. We also showed it in um, uh, film institutions and cultural institutions like libraries and the uh, the Schomburg Institute, the, the Apollo and different cultural centers around the country. Um, so it was a really great way to rally around and have these really dynamic conversations, all virtual with the communities afterwards. I know I slipped down the rabbit hole watching one of them. Just Oh, little... really? <laughs> Which one did you watch? 
Well, I could tell you Blair was on it, who is your oh, yes. voiceover, who is your narrator. Yes, it's probably and, and um, Stan uh, Lathan was Lathan. on. So that and... was our first kickback. That was our very first one. Wow. When we premiered... You spoke the least. Ironically, I think you spoke the least on there. Because you also had Nick yeah. Giovanni and you yes. had on. It was an incredible panel. The last poets. Yeah, just unbelievable. <laughs> and I think, you know, Robert everybody Glasper. was. So you, you were like just probably in awe. <laughs> I was so in awe because I it was the beginning of the summer and, you know, the, the Zoom culture was new. So right. to have someone like Nikki Giovanni in your Zoom, it was just, it was. Wait a minute, just, I think she's going to Zoom bomb us. Wait, wait, wait a second. No, <laughs> sadly, no, unfortunately not. And uh, then, as I recall, uh, Robert Glasper was recording in the studio and he turned around and had a surprise for me and it was common. And so Common popped into the Zoom to say hello. And I was like, mind blown. Yeah, yeah. So um, these I, kinds of magic moments. I want to make sure we don't bury the lead too far, which is that the, the it's going to be on HBO Max as of August 1st. So just, yes. to, just to do a little, you know, housekeeping, right? As clearly as we can. Absolutely. Uh, HBO Max is going to premiere yes. the film this weekend on, on August 1st. And we're so excited to be on this platform HBO Max is doing really dynamic programming right now and really inclusive and diverse and exciting. And it's part of this new change of having, you know, films premiere in IRL uh, in real life at the cinemas and also on streaming at the same time. So it's part of a new movement and we're really excited to be um, on the forefront of it, on the forefront of it. A lot of great films are were, have been acquired for uh, August, including my favorite Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> films you can't walk by the television without stopping and watching. So to think, that- no, it's I just had this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine. As we were we were talking, I said, you know, I think I might get Tim Robbins on my show, <gasps> which is yeah. uh, because so- he, he's got this uh, a theatrical thing he's doing, and it's, I was reached out with that, and I said a. Uh, uh, yeah. And then he did this uh, Zoom, uh, you know, virtual reading kind of workshopping. Display. Yeah. I, you wow. know, and I saw Melissa, my high school theater teacher <laughs> was in this group. I was like, Random. this is Horn. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, I, I, I then I was like, I, I was rewriting the publicist back saying, this is a FedEx. This is like a, you know, meant to be. This is a kismet. I got to get. I have to talk to Tim because I'm going to have to find my my theater teacher. But here's a question for you that I'm going to guess is if it's not the most asked question, I don't mind asking a a typical question because it applies. So it it really says, I think, has a powerful edge to it, which is this. Again, maybe the most popular question you get, Melissa, and that is, why did I never hear of soul exclamation point why did i never hear that show i know this is asked all the time well you know i like to say it's the greatest show you've never heard of it's the best way to describe it i have a feeling it's because it was broadcast at the very beginning the naissance of of public television Uh after the public broadcasting act happened in 1968 and then uh, was implemented in 1969 that pulled together all of the public television stations into the system of PBS, the PBS oh, so, okay. system. So whereas Seoul was, was originally, in other words, they became a network. Yes, pretty okay. much okay. without okay. being a typical network. 
pardon me, without, uh, they became an actual system of, of stations. And so for the first time, you're having independent stations broadcast to the nation and while it was getting its feet. And I really, or legs really is better better phrase. Right. I really think that for two reasons, the country, the zeitgeist, this this culture of archiving hadn't happened yet. And this notion of archiving live shows hadn't happened yet. So that led to the demise of a lot of shows of the, at that time, especially on public television, like Great American Dream Machine and, you know, or even it impacts sports. Remember how ESPN was finally born when they realized, wait a minute, we can capitalize off of old football games. This notion that if you see something once and it's live, it's never going to happen again. You're never going to want to see it again. So a lot of the early yeah. episodes of Soul were not documented or they were taped over or discarded and thrown away. Yeah. And so it was, the nation had to kind of catch up. And then of course there's okay. the cultural aspect, which is that we weren't really, the country wasn't ascribing value to black lives yeah. and black art and black culture. That's yeah. another conversation. And the resistance. Well, of that, not really, but go ahead. I'm not sorry. Really, yeah. But on the heels of the civil rights movement, you have to remember, and you do know the era from 1968, literally five months after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. So folks weren't really checking for black culture and, and elevating it to the equal status of say, you know, black dance being the same as New York city ballet or jazz music being validated as important as classical you know so these sort of culture wars were happening at the same time post harlem uh renaissance there was a new renaissance happening and this yeah. burgeoning black expressionism and freedom of speech and creativity and the importance of a full expression of the complex lives of 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 black people in this country Mm -hmm. was slowly taking hold, but it certainly didn't have a visible platform. So what makes Soul different and unique was that it made it visible, this sort of burgeoning Black arts movement and Black power movement. And so I think that it kind of got lost in the shuffle when it went off the air in 73. Right, that was, was right when things were, were picking up and you know assimilation was happening you were starting to see a different form of black expression on television, which was more mainstream, more comedic, more slapstick, you know, black, uh, black exploitation films and everything. So you kind right. of lost what happened right before. Now yeah. that we're in the digital age, even now we think our culture on visible culture started with soul train, you know? So it's really exciting to have this film that shares this really important moment in the culture that really defined the culture but just hasn't been seen and so it's kind of funny like 50 years later we're giving new visibility to something ellis hazeth was trying to give visibility to wait a minute Hazel, you that. have the same last name as ellis hazeth how's that yes, he's my uncle what come on i'm sure that's <laughs> didn't mean to bury the lead there <laughs> no no not at all i'm glad you brought because i haven't really it was a, the first african-american centric if not African-American uh, variety show yes, on, on the absolutely. air. And it, it like sure you say, was. it ran they from 68. Go ahead. Yeah, it ran from 68 to 73. And, and uh, it really yeah. did uh, create an ex more of an expansive view of Black culture. And right. um, But not only was it a vehicle for African-American artistry, you know, it was also a platform 
for political expression and the fight for social justice. That's not the model we knew <laughs> when it comes to late night television. You know, Jack Parr, Ed sure. Sullivan, you know, charming host comes out and does a monologue. People come sit down and dance and sing and then good night. Right. Well, you did have a charming host, but uh, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 in Uncle Ellis, the, the, but we should admit there was that one week on Johnny Carson where he allowed Harry Belfont. Yes. And how incredible that is. And my friend did a film about that called The Sit In. I think I, I think I may know Yoruba. Yes, Yoruba. Very. No, she just did the show actually. Yeah, recently. She's fantastic. And I'm just really applauding that film. What a great, yeah. It's nice to see these all coming out, finally getting their due and these stories finally being told. Um, It is a moment of reckoning. and, And also, just it's so great to have. Uh, an appreciation now and a realization that so much of our history has not been shared. It doesn't mean it's not important or overlooked, but it's just time to tell those stories. We have a fuller appreciation of who we are, you know, separately and together. We should also mention that also the uh, summer uh, a soul just came out too, which is, you know, this enormous successful has crossed through, you know, every possible, uh, you know, uh, broken through all sorts of, you know, audiences and and what have you. The footage from the Harlem Cultural Arts Festival is just very much like the soul footage, which was in a vault for 50 years. You know, the same thing, the cultural festival uh, in Harlem, that um, footage had lain dormant in in New York. And thank goodness for the late filmmaker Hal Tolchin, you know, who... um, had shot something like what 40 hours of footage on four different cameras thank god that yes. that that has been found and we are all the more better for it and uh, i actually talked to Questlove about that because he's in our film as well right and i, I interviewed him uh for a documentary magazine it's out right now it's, it's the summer issue and i just wanted to talk to him about that because with his film and with our film mr soul um there's this legacy of our, you know, lesser known, but very historically significant um, cultural sort of watershed moments and, and, and the importance of discovering these treasure troves of archival, you know, and that's exactly what Questlove did. And the way he curated Black Joy for Summer of Soul is so similar to what Ellis Hazip was doing, trying to curate Black Joy and Black Strength and Brotherhood. Uh, as encouragement yeah. to all of us he's a uh, through sheer I, I don't know i don't know sheer personality or drive or he was able to i mean you know i'm watching it and re-watching it and i'm seeing all these tremendously talented human beings just mm-hmm. one after another it's, it's unbelievable and then you also these radical poets the playwrights that were also on there and not holding back at all. And it's just astounding. You, you, it's not really, I, it's maybe cliche to say, but is it, is it, is it silly to think that this could not be on the air today? Just in terms of like, it would be too water, it would be more watered down or something. I don't know. You know, I think that there's a place for a show like soul. I think it would be hard to show it in its entirety, but we'd love to bring it back. I think it's really valuable and remember, it was made for the people, by the people. It was free on PBS. And I really think that the show should come back and, and should have a platform. Or if that can't happen, maybe it's a new incarnation of soul. Uh, well, sure, for sure. You know? 
How many? Um, how much? We mentioned this: the the archive being uh, recorded over, uh, or the tapes yeah. rather, or maybe even discarded. Sure. Uh, uh, how much is survived? Well, there were 130 original episodes from 19, which is quite a prolific amount. Yeah. <laughs> Considering they were threatened to be canceled every single year. Um, after the first year, they were threatened to be canceled and Ellis Hazel had to raise more money because it was, it was actually funded by grants, a big grant right. from the Ford Foundation. Uh, I think it was like $3.5 million from the Ford Foundation in 1968. That's a lot of money. And well, so, yeah, um, just as a side so I, note, and then we'll come back yeah. to, please don't forget, uh, yes. I, I apologize for interrupting you because, okay. um, I, I, but, but it was originally a response, this, this original grant money create the show was in response to, uh, I don't know if it was negative depiction of African-Americans, but it was a yes. popular description was the, that uh, the more about the, you know, poverty and violence in their communities, which was really only a small percentage or a small amount of, of the experience of being African-American in this country. Absolutely. So this show was trying to show some of the, uh, the positive side of things, or, or at least more of, of the experience. And the Kerner Commission report uh, really showed that there that we were living in two Americas, one black and one white. And mm. media was largely responsible for this. And so Channel 13 at PBS took a stance and said, well, we need to see more truthful representations of people of color on television. Right. Let's create a show that we can depict the full spectrum of African-American experience and that is in response to the fact that there is a dearth of, of diversity in programming. So it was a really bold move and very exciting to think that when you look back now at Channel 13, WNET, PBS, and their funding partners with the Ford Foundation, that they were all incubators of diversity, inclusion, and freedom of expression. You know, they can pat themselves on the back for that, uh, that 50 years ago, they were on the forefront of the, the, the conversations we're having right now, even about critical race theory and about inclusive programming and, you know, all these hot button topics. It's sort of cyclical that that was happening 50 years ago. And I think that's why the film was important, too, because it speaks to that time. But you can see the parallels oh, yeah. uh, in our society, especially in the administrations, the most recent one and Nixon's, you know, there's so many parallels there. So it's a really educational film, but it's, I, I think, I like to say it's a love letter to Black culture too. And it's, it's a welcome reprieve from so much traumatic, uh, uh, well, I, I hate to call it trauma porn, but there's a lot of trauma in the content that's being created around people of color and Blackness and I see this as an opportunity to, you know, curate Black joy and to move away from some of those really traumatic um, expressions of art. We need all of them. There needs to I be love, but I really appreciate how you're saying it. And you've also put some context to this recent group of films, including Summer of Soul, Yoruba's documentary, recent two documentaries, and Krishio um, Sosa has How It Feels to Be Free, which was another... Yes just beautiful documentary and beautiful. and you've just given that out of a context for that i think it's uh what you're saying is true and more we were about to talk about which i interrupted you <laughs> was <laughs> there's a a hundred how many episodes 70 is it 
130 30. episodes. Okay. Yeah. And are a certain percentage of those obviously have survived. You have a lot yes, of archive in the, in the documentaries. Indeed. And there are 24 episodes that are currently streaming. Um, there's a wonderful opportunity to see them, believe right. it or not, on Amazon Prime. If you just Google, well, go into Amazon and search soul with an exclamation point i wish i hadn't known that 24 episodes (laughs) you can also watch them on shout factory i think it's a relationship between shout factory and amazon because you can see their name there in the little um in the little yeah well they're also well they release all those you know collections uh uh, and they but they're now producing content too which is but shout factory is great they have a lot of sort of nostalgia programming and such but there are more episodes there are probably around Let's see that uh, channel 13 WNET has 49 hard copies that really exist. And then there are, I had to sort of pull together different versions and copies and um, files and old DVDs and old, even older VHS to try to assemble as many of the original episodes as possible. It was quite an arduous uh, journey. <laughs> well, one worth taking. Absolutely. You know, it's just very exciting to, I think of Ellis Hazlip as such a pioneer, but he was also an Afrofuturist because he knew at some point that this content, this archive would be important. And if it, even if it weren't being appreciated at that moment and the show came to an end, it ended on a high note, a high cultural note. And he does say in the end, you know, it will be recorded in the history of our time when things go down, he says. <laughs> so things are definitely going down now. I, could, uh, I was going to say, here we are. Here we are. And, uh, and then August 1st, HBO Max. August 1st, HBO Max. It's so thrilling. I just can't tell you how excited we are. It took us 10 years to make the film. And we are truly DIY independent filmmakers. And now we have this wonderful team that includes Blair Underwood and also Lena Waith is one of our executive producers. So we we're gaining visibility and strength as we go. We, it's like a giant snowball that keeps getting bigger and bigger because people are recognizing that it's a very special story, you know? Yeah. And it's our story. It's black history is American history, but it's also, it's also broadcast history. It's also, um, you know, queer history. There's a lot music of history, music history, art, his, yeah. arts. Yeah. Yeah. Art history. And music is really, uh, you know, one of the characters, we treat it like a character in the film because it really represents the soul of the nation. Uh, as we wind it down, thank you so much. Yeah. For, I'm so glad to meet you. And you you're the too. perfect guest, Melissa, because you're so thoughtful and, um, you know, happy to share your thoughts and I appreciate it. Oh, thank you uh, so much. It's such a great opportunity. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it Yeah, because it's, um, it, it's, it's not just my journey, you know, it represents so many great artists and many of those artists were not even validated in that time. And so for them yeah. to receive this kind of national exposure, historically, it's really significant. And I like my uncle more comfortable sort of pushing the culture forward but from behind the scenes and so well now yeah it's, it's just wonderful to be out front now and championing not right. just for the film but for what it represents because it, it's bigger than me and it's bigger than all of us and it's um it's really a gift and I'm, I'm so happy that 
it happened. It was, it took so long to make and a lot of obstacles because Mm of clearances and all of that. And so, um, but what it, what it represents is really a, um, a, a wonderful thing. Well, uh, people should look out for it. It's called Mr. Soul exclamation point. Yes. The exclamation point is key. That's so, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> I had to have that in the title. Otherwise they weren't going to green light it. <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. not only that, but we don't want people to mistake it with um, uh, the song, Mr. Soul, which is a completely different thing. That's why we call it Mr. Soul, the movie. <laughs> Makes sense. Right. Uh, I, I, people will still find this movie regardless. I'm sure it's that yes. good. Um, and where are you? Where are you, by the way, just uh, generally speaking? I'm uh, in the lower Hudson Valley. So just okay, I'm not up. far from you. Oh, where are you? Yeah, a little upper, but okay. I, I, I took I decided to take some time from city city Good. life. Well done. <laughs> it was in the works already. And then this just sort of moved the, the last year sort of just moved up the date a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm up closer to I'm north of Rhinebeck and south of Hudson. Sure, I so. love Hudson, by the way, my favorite yeah. store is there. And um, like to go there and do a little antiquing and then have lunch. My favorite, one of my favorite places. It really has a lovely artist vibe there. Are you closer and, to, um, well, let's say goodbye and then I'll ask because uh, we'll, we'll, we'll I put an end to the show. I don't want oh, okay. to want people, uh, you know, coming show with, up. Come showing on up with <laughs> grant money or something terrible. <laughs> grant money is right this way, please. Thank you. You know, it is unusual that yeah, the yeah. film itself is funded entirely by grants. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to sort of match the provenance of the show and that it was for the people, by the people. You know, we didn't have any secret sugar daddies in our corner and we didn't have any we didn't we never had the support of a network or a studio so everything was done right. by literally writing DIY. Yeah. over and over and over and over until we had enough yeah and we finally got a big grant from the national endowment for the humanities the national endowment for the arts and the ford foundation and that was the perfect timing reminding them of you know the anniversary of their original giving to the soul. You, the NEA, uh, did you get an award for the, from them too? Uh, we didn't get an award, a, but I can grant. Okay. consider the grant to be an award because it's <laughs> so hard <laughs> to get. <laughs> very good. Very true. It is so, so hard. And I will tell you, you know, it takes a lot to write those grants and you get rejected continually. Right. And we, so you start with a development grant and then you develop a relationship with the senior program officers and you show them that you're in the game for the long haul, you know, mm, and, then, right. and then you get rejected and then you build and then you build and you rewrite and you build. It took probably almost three years to finally receive that grant. So, yeah. And I've been rejected 17 times from one particular film organization. That's normal. Maybe, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> oh, you never got it. Seventeenth time. No, we never got it. Oh dear. <laughs> but then, ironically, we had our uh, premiere at the same institution. Oh, really? So you can figure that out. I don't want to name anybody. <laughs> okay. <Thank you. laughs> I was like, can't you knock on the door and let them know that we're premiering there at Tribeca Film Festival? <laughs> but still, no, they rejected us seventeen times. And so, you know, we our goal has always been just get to the yes. Just gotcha. get yes. Oh, the TFI. That's um, yeah. The, uh, 
Well, you brought your, I appreciate you bringing your director's bona fides. You brought your producer bona fides to the conversation, giving yeah. us a grant lesson. I appreciate it. <laughs> really appreciate Absolutely. it. You, you know, I just have to be encouraging to people out there because mm -hmm. this was a very hard film to make. And when you, when you are independent and you are not basing your film on like a Pulitzer Prize winning historical novel, and you're having to create an original content, it can be very daunting because mm -hmm. if you're not, be, you know, a Sundance uh, grantee or mm. you're just not supported by big money or other really popular or famous filmmaker types, it's hard. But the thing is, you have to remember that your story is really important and it's unique to you. And you just have to keep believing in yourself and that story and find the tribe that will believe with you. Yeah, right. They'll come and go, but you'll find your tribe who believe in that story and will stay with you until you finish that film. And then that's really the, the real goal is to find the people that support your vision uh, as an independent filmmaker or just, just, just even as a creator or maker. Um, and not everybody tells you that, you know, and you struggle and you struggle and you, the silver lining is realizing that your story does matter and you're, you, you are the custodian of that truth mm. and that will get you through um, and hopefully, you know, keep you on the path that you want towards distribution or exhibition or whatever it is you're doing with your art, or even if it's for yourself. Don't you get don't always too need much that. of your consulting um, skills away because... You'll need to earn that for the next film. What? <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of consulting. I do a yeah. lot. I'm invited on a lot of juries. I bet. Um, I just joined the board of the Jacob Burns Film Center, which oh, is far from right here. Up, so is that nearby? Yeah, that's in Pleasantville. Oh, is that? Okay, because I, uh -huh. I, I know where that is. And I was just... Yeah. And so I'm just you're, trying you're to... In the Putnam Valley? Mm-hmm. You're in Putnam I'm Valley? Uh, I'm in... Or uh, rather, uh, Putnam, Putnam County. Yes. Is that what it's called? Uh -huh. yeah. Westchester County, technically. Oh, okay. But it sort of straddles that whole area. Yeah. I don't know how I got up this far up. I, I just, but it's here great. I am. It's so beautiful up here. But you have the best restaurants in Rhinebeck. There's that old hotel. I forget the name of it, but yeah. uh, I went in there and it's beautiful. I want to have dinner there. They yeah, have a yeah. lovely well, tavern in there. Rhinebeck is gorgeous. I have yeah, no, and I'm, I'm t technically it's Tivoli, and uh, so I'm near yeah. there, and there's beautiful little spot. I mean, it's so scenic, it's crazy, and there's a lot of arts up here. And how lucky you are to have survived the pandemic in a beautiful place. Not yeah. everyone can say that, and so right. you've been nurtured by by your environment. And so absolutely, it's uh, exactly the word for it. I I wake up every day with a just grateful to be here, and um, yeah. and. It, and uh, I don't take any of it for granted, actually. Absolutely. You know, we are yeah. really blessed. If I were a hashtag, it would be use your power for good. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's my hashtag, because I really feel that if you have any opportunity to impact change, it should be towards the positivity in within that change. You know, we 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 do have a voice. Just you and I talking right now could touch someone in some way. And we need that now more than ever, especially since we're not together and we don't know what the future holds with the variants and everything and whether we'll go through another lockdown. Just this idea of connectivity, we're sort of redefining that. But the, the common thread that seems to be the most important is kindness, love, you know, um, not to sound Pollyanna or anything, but just upliftment and positivity. There's enough negativity in the world right now that we're fighting and people have their own issues around, 
you know, PTSD and, and frustration and possibly depression and other, other challenges. So any opportunity to do something for good, use your art for good, use your art as activism, um, any type of positivity, that's what I hope to curate with the work I do and the people I connect with. Well, include me in that group, please. Yeah, be absolutely. I, I didn't know You're when I knew. there. <laughs> Thank you. Where and, are you uh, right now? Likewise, likewise. Uh, I had no idea who I was going to meet half oh. hour ago, but this has been uh, <laughs> far exceeded my expectations. Oh, you're very kind. I really appreciate it. You know, it's so great to connect and I really appreciate what you're doing and just giving me this opportunity to talk about the show. You know, that's really special. Thank you. And we'll get the word out, encourage people to see Mr. Soul on HBO Max as as well as the episodes of the show on on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime or Shout Factory. Absolutely. Shout Factory. Thank you. Yeah. Or if you are a member of PBS already, they have like their own streaming platform. It's called PBS Passport, I think. Mm -hmm. It's mostly Downton Abbey, but you can find a few (laughs) of Soul and hidden in there. (laughs) Wait a minute. He's Downton Abbey. Wait a minute. and uh, there's a there's a website. Let's let's just may as well throw that in, Mr. Sure. Soul. Mr. Soul Movie dot com. That's uh-huh. our website. And of course, we're Sign all over the socials at right. Mr. Soul the Movie. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and TikTok for the young folks. Whoa! I was told that that Facebook is for old people, and I was so sad to hear that. So <laughs> yeah, I went ahead. Or, or for Russian bots. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I went ahead and, and got the, the TikTok account, which is challenging, but it's really fun as well. It's very much of a rabbit hole of good times. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to ask you next about that because you'll be on here with me for another half hour at the least. Guaranteed. <laughs> All right. Rabbit hole nation right here. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. Anytime. All right. That was revolutionary. The conversations he had between writers and poets. Of course you can lie to me. Treat me the same way you would treat him. I can't treat you. You must. You grin at him all day long. You come on when I catch hell because I love you. I get least of you. Fake it with me. I asked him, why are you having Rasan Roland Kirk on? He said, because he's crazy. That program was so beyond its time that it was in time. Do you know who you are? Soul was giving TV exposure to activist revolutionaries. They want me to go to Vietnam to shoot some black folks that never lynched me, never called me nigga. You're so much more than Blacks all around the country say, yes. Stay high, sucker chump. You could do anything you wanted. The FBI was very, very disturbed by that. I said, Ellis, this is a piece of history. Let's fight for it. There exists, as far as I know, no TV program that deals with my culture so completely, so freely, and so beautifully. There is nothing, nothing we cannot do. Black seeds keep on growing. There's nothing but evolution in my show. During the pandemic, Tim Robbins decides that he is going to utilize Zoom is a way of presenting a new production, a new theatrical production using actors from his uh, company called The Actors Gang. Go to their website, theactorsgang.com, to find out more about them and about this production. But he uh, chose Studs Terkel's 
Hard Times, which is a all of Studs Terkel's work, or most of them anyway, the ones I'm familiar with, oral histories. And this one is about the Great Depression, which took place uh, slightly less than 100 years ago now, where he interviewed a bunch of people that survived the Depression and their stories, and they're now dramatized by the Actors Gang in this production. If you go to theactorsgang.com, you will find out how you can see this production. It's in three parts. So I was lucky enough to have Robbins, who has adapted this uh, with the help of the Actors Gang, for the, uh, the camera. It's currently on now into the first week of September, so please, I urge you to check it out. And uh, for I think pay as you can is the model here. Thank you for that. And one of the people in his company is my former high school drama teacher, Jeanette Horn, who I, I think about all the time. And I'm still connected to a handful of people from my high school theater careers classes. And we all still remember her and love her. And when Mrs. Horn, as I call her, Jeanette Horn, called me this last weekend to, to reconnect as a result of my conversation with him, which he told her about, <laughs> it's just remarkable. So it was a great to get to reconnect with her and to talk to her. It's such a gift. So thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Tim. Here he is now talking about his production, this adaptation of Studs Terkel's oral history. It's called We Live On. And it is available now at theactorsgang.com. Here he is, actor, director, writer, musician, Tim Robbins, here only on FilmWax Radio. Go to sleep, you weary hobo. Let the towns drift slowly by. Listen to the steel rails humming. That's a hobo's lullaby. Oh, 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 Oh my! Well, you know that's uh, he wrote a, he wrote an entire chapter just for you, a special bonus content chapter. What did he write? Well, I interviewed him uh, at LACMA here, and 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 he after that he said, "What a delightful and exhilarating encounter it was meeting you. What moved me most, aside from your giftedness, was your graciousness in conducting the evening." I was absolutely knocked out. As a Chicagoan, I can simply say, you're the best, kid. With admiration and affection. Must be unpleasant to have to read that. You know, you, know, you choke on those words. It's so unpleasant that those words are so... Nasty, right? Nasty, exactly. <laughs> um, he was amazing. And I... Um, you know, I've been so blessed to meet some of my heroes and he was one of them and uh his books really kind of uh, in college for me kind of opened my eyes to 
the whole rest of the country. I grew up in New York City. And, uh, you know, New York City people are very, it's all about New York and everything else doesn't matter. And uh, I guess Studs was the person that kind of broke that illusion and said, hey, pay attention to the rest of the country. There's there's real heart out there, Mm -hmm. real uh, resilience and uh, character. And, um, you know, that's what I love about the book hard times is it reminds us of our humanity, our shared humanity uh, with these people. What was your introduction to that? Was it the, the, what you just mentioned? Was that your introduction to, to him? Had you been introduced to his work as a young person? Or? Yeah. Yeah. In college, I, I discovered uh, working and uh, the one you have the good war and um, hard times division street. Um, and, but it wasn't until the pandemic that, because I'd always wondered, how would you adapt that for the stage? And working did it. Um, but I, I, I was always curious about the other books. And then when the pandemic hit, we realized really quickly that we couldn't do theater on Zoom. You know, it's you're asking an audience to believe that, like, if you and I were doing a scene, we're in the same room and uh, there's also the timing issues and it just seems so wrong. And zoom isn't quite a film medium either. So we had to find this um, middle ground, which as we worked on hard times, we realized was this just simply making contact with the viewer through this little lens that's in our computers and, Trying to imagine, as I told the actors, uh, imagine that you're sitting across from someone at a bar, one person at a bar, a coffee house, uh, you know, library, wherever, but it's one person. Just, Just speak to one person and see if you can find the contact there. And I, I feel like my actors are have really done it. And why I'm here to talk to you. I feel like they've done, they've done something that has kind of broke through this Zoom curse. And mm-hmm. uh, well, the form lends itself too. I mean, if any, uh, if any does, I guess oral history in a way because they're monologues, it sort of works. Yeah, I mean, already. So you can do a theatrical version, I suppose, or adapt it to the stage. But this. If anything's going to work, I think it does because they they are looking right at looking at you right in the eye, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah, uh, the actors gang. Uh, what is is this y- y- your company? Or I I I did some due diligence. I see that they work with uh, rehabil- group re- rehabilitation institu- institutions, or that's at least one of their focuses. Uh, so they'll go to you know, prisons among other types of spots and they'll work with the, with the uh, residents um, in th- doing theater exercises and perhaps other things and, and find that it, it, le- it lends to rehabilitation. It's really worked. It's why we expanded the program. We started in one uh, place, uh, one prison, and uh, we f- soon found out that the incarcerated men that we started with had really responded, you know, in a very positive way. 
uh, it wasn't until later, after we'd been doing it for a while, that we started to do studies and understood the, the numbers of it, which are really great. Uh, 10% of our, uh, the people that take our program reoffend, uh, as opposed to 60% statewide. Mm-hmm. And um, we have an 89% reduction in 115s, which are in prison infractions. So with people that have been through the program. So the prison system in California uh, has been very open to us expanding and, and, and helping as much as we can. Uh, whatever bandwidth we have, we, we, we go in and work. So we're in 15 yards right now in 13 prisons. We do um, also uh, work with uh, incarcerated youth uh, in our community here in Los Angeles. And we also have a uh, kind of a re-entry program uh, that works with people that are in halfway houses in between prison and being allowed to be free. Uh, in addition to that, we also have an education department, which works in uh, the public school system uh, with the same aim in mind. Basically the, the idea is to allow a safe place for either our young students or our incarcerated men or women to express emotions that a lot of times because of the way that uh, their environment, because of the environments they are in, they're not, they're not allowed to express. um, For example, uh, in prison, there's one predominant emotion emotion to, in order to survive is anger. You don't show fear. You don't show sadness. Uh, These are things that weaken your safety. And uh, in school, it's uh, with kids, you know, kids are told all the time, smile, you know, be happy, right? Adults, either parents or teachers or others, are uncomfortable with those other emotions. Don't be angry. Don't you get angry with me? Or uh, what are you scared of? Or, um, uh, you know, uh, don't be sad. Come on, cheer up. And kids go through all of those emotions and they're constantly being told not to express them. And so here we have a safe zone, either in the classes that we go to when we're doing in-person or at our theater when we bring them in for after-school programs. There's a safe place for them to express emotions. Now, how do we oh, do yeah. that? Through character. We, we introduce them to Commedia dell'arte stock characters, so that it's not really them expressing their emotion. Right, it's, it's a work. You circumvented that that the the weakness problem. Like in other words, if they did this as themselves, they would be opening themselves up to right potential. You know, and this way they become expressing their emotions through a character. And so they become the angry servant or the angry master or the, or the sad lover, uh, you know, but all of it uh, is play. But in the long run, what it basically is doing is patterning you to be able to decide which emotion you're in. So we find after we do these improvs in, in prison, these guys you know, if one character comes in that's angry and another character comes in that's angry, the facilitator will say, well, can maybe 
pick a different response to anger. See what happens if to the scene if you respond with one of the other emotions. And, you know, angry guy comes in. Uh, and, uh, this person is terrified and shaking. Immediately, there's laughter, right? Immediately, we understand that it's kind of fun, right? Yeah. Well, underneath what is happening also, as they tell us later, after a few weeks of this, is that they're out on the yard and someone comes up front to them and gets in their face and they are able to realize they don't have to take the bait. They don't have to go to anger. They can control their emotion to another emotion. That's powerful. And this is what reduces in prison infractions, in prison violence, is because we're breaking it down in the room. And we insist, by the way, that our rooms are integrated, that they have all the different factions that divide themselves on the yard but cannot divide themselves in, our, in the room that we work. And so they're You're talking forced. about kind of racial or gang-related? Uh, yes, uh, okay. yes, racial and gang-related. Yeah, which are, right, usually. Uh, the, the, prisons are incredibly self-segregated. They, 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 they are, it's, it's tribal. They, 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 keep, they keep in their own group, but not in our room. So in our room... At some point, <clears throat> we take them through a, a exercise to one of the characters has died and we take them to their funeral and they all have to place a flower on the grave and say something under their breath as a, words of goodbye. And then they all are there silent looking at the dead body or the dead. You know, and, and then we say, look at each other. And that's when it all breaks down because they see the human being next to them that is capable of empathy is capable of emotion and, and caring and as all of them are i mean i think we just tend to write off people like this we tend to write off our children too in in our school systems when you see that the first thing that is cut is arts programming and physical education that's writing off your children because if they don't have those key key elements in their education it, it, it's a lot harder for them to achieve something later in life. Uh, well, I think it's so cool how you kind of collected empirical, essentially collected empirical, empirical data for the prison system and now for them. And <laughs> they know they have some evidence that what you, you know, that this works. Well, we had a guy come for the head of the department of corrections. I was able to get him to come watch pretty early on uh, one of the programs. And he immediately knew, he said, this is not, arts in corrections this is cognitive therapy this is this is good this works um so did you take their you already had the so you had this stand, uh rather acting troupe the actors gang as it's called in in la and you they already were doing this other this work we just been talking about and then you just realized oh i i, I you had you came up with this new project uh which is uh uh, uh we live on which is the adaptation of studs Turkle's hard times and you just took them and you said here's a new project to do since we can't go into the prisons anyway right I'm well no no there are two separate things though we still work? kept up our prison program we couldn't go in the prisons but we mm -hmm. started started a writing 
to them in we started oh, okay. sending them packets so we kept our work going okay uh, i have an incredible staff of 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 people that just don't take no for an answer and they were as soon as the lockdown hit they were immediately adapting their programs to this new medium um and our education became a uh virtual uh and and okay. we actually expanded our education program during covid so um but no we, as a theater company we've been together since uh 2000 oh 2000 1982 yeah before lockdown hit, we were touring a show called the new Colossus uh, in the United States. Um, yeah, no, this is, it was always theater first. It wasn't until I think the, it was 15 years ago that we started the prison project okay. and we've been I doing see. education programs uh, since the early aughts. So um, we're, we've been around for a while. Um <laughs> It sounds like it in 82. Uh, but let's talk about before we do run out of time. I don't know how much time we have. So I just want to make sure I, I do uh, talk about We Live On in more specific terms. Uh, it's already it's 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 going to be, I see, having a bunch of there's three parts. Actors rotate. Your company rotates parts, correct? No, each there's 30 actors. OK. And they each do one part. Oh, they each have one character. Yes. Or a person that they're... Yes. And there's 10 stories per show, per per part. Part one, part two, part three. But you can see part three first. You don't need, you don't need the other two to understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I got it. Right. Unlike some other uh, sequels. <laughs> it's not quite but, a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Each, each one works independently. And it's... Um, you know, they're all, you know, my job as the director was to figure out which one goes after which one and how to make it flow. And yeah. Plus you wrote some additional uh, contextual language for the. With the actors, the actors, okay. uh, there's about eight stories in our, in, out of the 30 that are written by the actors about their own relatives, about their own experiences. Uh, and, um, that those are really very moving. Um, um, you know, the, when part of the, the, my plan on it was, you know, because everyone was in such a terrible place, being isolated by themselves, not being able to be in their community, working with other people face to face. I encouraged my actors to reach out to people they've known, family members, and then to, put the seed in their head well we can do something here with that we can tell a story if you want reach back into your grandparents uh lives see ask questions see if you can figure out a story about oh. your grandparents and what that would be and and so eight of them really wrote these beautiful pieces uh, that are a testament to studs in a way, because they were basically doing the same thing that studs did mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to tell stories 
that of of that are more close to home for us? Um, the you can people can find. I'll put the links at the end, but they can go through either your website, Tim Robbins dot. What is it, timrobbins.com? You can go through the Actors Gang or the website. Actors Gang, ideally. Actorsgang.com, yeah. Right, and there's a place to get tickets. It gives you the whole schedule. So you can, yeah. a la carte, you can pick and choose what you want to see from there. Yes, and we do, um, the Thursday is part one, Friday's part two, Saturday's part three. And then we do a, a marathon on Saturday. So part one, two, part two, part three, oh, okay. one after each other. And on Sunday, we do a repetition of all of them. Um, so there will be ways. What? I said, it's a lot of work. <laughs> like for what actors are not used to doing how many shows typically in a, well, they do. They, they, do. they, they there's some, they're, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday are live shows, but the others are, are taped from the, the live show. Uh-huh. Okay. And in the future, we will have links, you know, that you can watch at any time, but we're not right now. Okay. So it's it, to me uh, yesterday was I think the first day where the more the rent moratorium was lifted. So it's ter- it's a little scary, not for me. I mean, I, I'm just speaking when I say it's a little scary. I mean, it's scary for this country because there's already a uh, you know it's we're already in tr- a bit of trouble to say the least. So the the fact that the moratorium these things are are a little bit concerning because we don't know where we're going to be, especially if the fall presents. And I don't want to put it out in the world, but I like to play with the truth. Call me nuts that we could be in another major surge or something at this rate. And the play just there's a strong parallel between that time with those folks that that wrote those model or spoke those words were by and large living through the depression. Uh, so it's, it resonates. Most important thing though is that they survived the, the depression. That's a good point. And that, that's the reason we wanted to do it, because we felt it, uh, that about this time, since we started this a year ago, we felt that when this would be performed, that this would be necessary um, to remind us um, of a shared humanity that we have. I think that's the thing that I'm most scared about. Um, Okay. You know, of course, yes, the rising homelessness is uh, caused by uh, eviction and uh, the food lines we've seen, the desperation. But, but the thing that scares me the most is the division and the um, the going into tribes, you know, um, putting down, you know, your markers and drawing your lines in the sand and across a, a whole wide range of subjects and uh, it's not healthy yeah. no it's not healthy it's yeah. it's it's it doesn't end well and we have to figure out a way to be more generous with each other and and to be more forgiving um and it's not going that way there's not uh i don't i can't think of anybody really in the media that is doing that it's just it's all about selling things through hostility uh, fear, and, uh, fear, yeah. and it, it's that never ends well and um maybe what we need to do is we need to uh do uh, surprise ourselves how so um 
to, to, I don't know, figure out a way that we can reach out to someone that we've written off Mm. for whatever reason and say, Hey, listen, you know, uh, we disagree. Uh, but you're my brother, sister, fill in the blank. You're this to me. You're my friend. And I, I, I miss you. That needs to happen. And you know what needs to happen before that? Humility. Mm. We need to be able to say we might not be right about everything. Regardless of who's telling us we are right in, this, in, in our Twitter feeds or, and how much we're buoying ourselves up with our unity against something. Uh, it's, it's not going to end well. And um, I fear for the future of the country. I fear that we're... I, I see. I'm looking at you and I'm looking and I'm saying, this, this is the guy from the War of the Worlds now. He's on in the basement <laughs> under the steps with his... <laughs> it just... That image came... Sorry, I didn't mean to get all... Uh, well... Uh, joke, you know, I mean, you're saying something... Kind of serious, but <laughs> no, I understand. I apologize. Um, that's all right. You actually uh, drove something home when you were talking about that, that I'm, there is, I mean, I'm probably just about everybody with, has a family member who you, exactly how you described it. And I've been sitting on that myself. So maybe I need to uh, start to, uh, you know, use some of that humility you were mentioning. I, you know, of course, I mean, I could talk to you forever. I mean, uh, but people can, should they go to the actors gang site, right? To get the tickets. There's not, or is there even a more uh, dedicated website? To- it's www.theactorsgang.com. And okay. uh, you can go anytime and get tickets. Uh, we also have a pay what you can uh, situation with this. Mm-hmm. So that if you're flat out busted and you want to see some live theater for wherever you are in the United States, that just go to our website and we'll figure it out. We'll get you in. Fantastic. I think I got through all the things that, I mean, this was, were you going to try to do this last year on the 50th anniversary of hard times? That, that was a question. I also jotted down just for a postscript type of thing, my own curiosity, because I know with COVID, it may have postponed this whole. Maybe just no, this was down. totally born from COVID lockdown. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Because it was that last year, of course, was the 50th anniversary of, of hard times. The, uh, yes. the original source, right? So just so happens. We live on. We live on. And we shall. <laughs> Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank right. you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Have a good uh, week ahead. Thanks, Adam. All right. They used to tell me I was building a dream, and so I followed the mob. When there was earth to plow or guns to bear, I was always there, right on the job. They used to tell me I was building a dream, with peace and glory ahead. Why should I be standing in line? Just waiting for bread. One 
All right, everyone. We'll be back in a week with a brand new episode of the show. Again, go to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio and please subscribe and share all of our wonderful content. You can also go go to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio. And if you don't want to subscribe, you can follow us on on our Patreon account. Uh, Also, uh, of course, filmwaxradio.com. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just stay, you know, connected and engaged with with what I'm doing. And um, we're going to have coverage of the Sidewalk Film Festival coming up. Fantasia is going on right now. Fantasia, which is a Montreal-based genre film festival. Coming up is the New York Film Festival, the Toronto Film Festival, the Woodstock Film Festival, and much more. So... Tune in and find out about all that, plus all so many fabulous friends of Film Wax constantly coming back for more. We, we've got, for those still listening to this <laughs> outro, I can tell you, still coming up on the show, we just had Griffin Dunn and Michael Hoffman. We have Udo Kier coming back on with his uh, new film he's in called Swan Song. He'll be on the, probably the next episode. An old friend of the show, documentary filmmaker, Lynn Sachs. One of the first guests they ever had on the show, Carmine Famiglietti, was in a movie called Pounds a good dozen years ago. And he's back. He's produced a exciting fantasy dramatic film called Faraway Eyes. And he'll be on with his director and the lead actor of that. We have the documentary team behind one of the most popular Netflix documentaries to have come out in recent years, The Social Dilemma, and so much more. So please do listen in every week. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. This is Adam Sharkoff. Take care. Till next time. We look well, full of that Yankee doodle down. Half a million boots went slogging through hell. And I was the kid with a drum. Say, don't you remember they called me Al? It was Al all the time. Hey, don't you remember? I'm your pal, buddy, can you spare a dime?